Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling, interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. You know, I'm so very excited to talk today with my guest. Joining me is Colleen Stanley. She's not only the CEO of Sales Leadership, Inc., a trainer, a speaker, but also what we're going to talk about today is her latest book called Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success. I just finished reading the book. Very excellent book. Salespeople definitely should read it. Colleen, welcome to the show. Andy, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about you, how you got started in sales and you know, your sort of journey that took you to this point of writing this book. Well, it, it has been a journey, so I like the way you frame that. Um, I actually got started in sales back in the 80s with a dance fitness company that is still around. They're about a $90 million company, Jazzercise. Oh, yeah, Jazzercise. So I uh, had three franchises, and you definitely needed to know how to sell in order to fill the room. And so I remember walking into three gymnasiums that I had rented and had um, two gyms that were completely empty. And one gym had three people, two of which were my aunt, Mary, and her daughter-in-law that she drugged there. And at that point, I thought, we've got a serious problem going on. So I created this speakers bureau, if you can imagine. And I called all of these organizations in Omaha, Nebraska. And I said, you know, we have a speakers bureau that comes out and talks on fitness and nutrition. Now, keep in mind, I am the speakers bureau, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was probably my first selling. And then I would hire little kids to put flyers on mailboxes. Pretty sure that was illegal. And so that was my first selling. And then I had the good fortune of getting on with uh, Varsity Spirit Corporation. And they are the company a lot of people might be familiar with. They host the national cheerleading championships on ESPN. Oh, yeah. Yes, and that's, that's dangerous. Oh. That's dangerous stuff. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so they uh, have that division, which most of the population knows better. And then they have a garment division. So they manufacture uniforms. And I was on the garment side of the business. So I was one of the first reps. They were just starting to go from a catalog company to direct sales. And so, you know, that typical story that many of us have flew in for one day of training. And then it was the go get them kid program. Mm hmm. So well, I, and of course, of course, you made your sales calls wearing a cheerleader's outfit. <laughs> no, we're not going <laughs> <not cheerleader outfit. laughs> to do that. And uh, so the good news is they're a very well-run company. They are now the uh, largest in the world in the industry, but they were the David at the time. So they gave a lot of people that didn't have experience, but if you had an incredible work ethic, would stay after it. So I eventually became their VP of sales and directed a sales force of 130 
And then I left there and really was looking for what I want to do next. And probably like you, Andy, love the training and teaching business. So moved to Denver, Colorado and uh, got started with the Sandler sales training franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I worked as an associate with them for three and a half years and then spun off in 2001 and started my own company, Sales Leadership. Excellent. Well, so I could talk about this book. Yeah, I, I said, said before, I really enjoyed reading it. In fact, it's a book I could have used when I was much earlier in my, my sales career. So I'm sure many of the people listening, if not most of the people listening, have heard the term emotional intelligence. You know, and certainly in the 20 years since Daniel Goleman wrote the book with the same name. But I suspect most people really don't know what it is, right? I mean, I, <laughs> it's a term that gets thrown around, but no one really uses it appropriately. So what define it for people? What is emotional intelligence? Well, you know, there is, I think you're absolutely right. It's this very textbook, almost esoteric term. So there's a lot of great, what I call textbook definitions. But when we're really working with clients, I'll say, you know, it really kind of boils down to three things. It's being able to identify what emotion you're feeling. And uh, what happens a lot of times, Andy, we put our emotions into the witness protection program, right? So mm. we say that we're... Um, Especially for guys. Oh, yeah, guys, women, it, it actually, you'd be amazed. So we use, I call it generic terms. I'm frustrated. I'm uh, upset. And really, if you take a look at it, sometimes you're not frustrated. You're flat out disappointed. And sometimes you'll say you're nervous when you're really intimidated. So the reason it's important to know what you're feeling is that if you don't identify the right emotion, you could put the wrong prescription or solution to it. And then you move into the next piece, and it's really understanding why you're feeling the emotion. And this really, um, most people have heard something about this, but a lot of it's, you know, that self-talk that goes on in your head. You know, you're not good enough. This prospect's out of your league. Um, You don't have enough information to pursue this opportunity. So, you know, getting to the why, but then the big thing we'll work with folks on is how it affects how you show up. And so sometimes you simply don't take the action. Mm-hmm. because, um, you know, you've talked yourself out of the opportunity. Uh, sometimes you don't show up very well. So the first time you have a prospect that challenges you, which is going to be what I call predictable behavior, if you're going to be in the sales profession and calling on high driver types, you buckle and you might start discounting. You may start uh, writing practice proposals when this person's no more qualified to have a proposal because you haven't really been able to run that consultative sales call. But the how piece also ties into maybe you're what I call the trigger. Maybe you're the person that shows up in the office that everybody dreads. You know, you could be that salesperson that is actually limiting your growth because you're such a pain in the neck when you get feedback and you get so defensive that pretty soon people just quit giving you feedback. So you live a very comfortable life, but you live a stagnant life. So that's, you know, the what, why, and how. That's kind of trying to tie in making it more tangible than just nice conversation. I hope that helps. Yeah, well, I think that that people have this perception. I think people of all, all ages, and it certainly is a tradition, I think, that's been brought down over the years, is that you know, business is sort of an emotion-free place, right? I mean, emotions are for your personal life, not for your right. work life. Mm-hmm. But, that, but that demarcation really doesn't exist. I mean, they are extremely important within your work life. And how, I mean, relate for a second how this really you know, applies directly to sales and selling. I mean, because this is, I think, probably no no other profession where you have, really have to deal with your emotions so much on a day-to-day basis. Well, you know, we positioned it in the book as the knowing and doing gap. So, number one, I'm a huge reader. I love reading books. I think knowledge is important. I call that the sales IQ. But then you've probably seen this in your work with sales teams. 
salespeople know what to do, right? Yes. So what's the reason they're not doing it? So, for example, if you take a couple of EQ competencies, um, impulse control, delayed gratification. And EQ meaning your emotional intelligence as opposed yeah. to your, your IQ. Right, right, right. Thank you for the clarification there. Um, you take something called impulse control, often referred to as delayed gratification. Well, now when you start really diagnosing what's the root cause of lack of sales, poor sales performance, often we keep throwing hard selling skills at the problem, which I absolutely believe in. We teach a lot of, but maybe we need to start looking at the soft skills. So, for example, a salesperson that is charged with their own business development, often they fall miserably short because they have low impulse control, meaning they'll prospect consistently for one month, then second month. And then the third month, nothing's popping. Now, their sales cycle is six months long, keep in mm -hmm, mind. Mm -hmm. But they start getting discouraged, so they start backing off consistent activity. Um, major account selling. So if they're in a business where they want to do the elephant hunting, whale hunting, whatever we want to call it, well, guess what? That takes longer sales cycles to land. You've got multiple decision makers, more interviews to run. And so sometimes people aren't having enough leads in their pipeline or selling big enough deals, and it's not necessarily hard selling skills. They just lack impulse control, the ability to put in the work to get the reward. Interesting. And and so where does patience fall into that then? <laughs> I, I wanted to bring that up before I forgot about it because I'm thinking about major account selling is, you know, a lot of times people have the hard time transitioning from selling something that's a lower dollar, lower, lower dollar value, more transactional to something that's more complex in a longer sales cycle. And it's it's a different mindset. So it, it's almost like a, a, a different emotional profile that someone needs to have. Well, it is. And I think that's a great point. You know, at the foundation of everything, if you had to develop one muscle, one emotional intelligence skill, I would say it's the emotional self-awareness skill. Because you've got to sit there and also apply what we call reality testing. If you're not doing well pursuing those major accounts, what's the real reason? Where And then it's getting that downtime and asking yourself those tough questions. Okay, what's preventing me from pursuing this? And can't blame your boss, can't blame you don't have marketing materials. So sometimes I think it's just getting that time to think, what's the root cause for me not taking action? And then it might be hard selling skills because, frankly, you might be working hard, have the patience, but you literally are asking the wrong questions. You're not being assertive enough to state what you need. So I would say emotional self-awareness would be taking a look at where's my lack of patience showing up. And it's having that awareness to go, okay, here's what I need to do. And and maybe, oh, I'm sorry, go okay. ahead. No, and maybe, you know what, get some coaching, get some advice, get some mentors out there. We've all got blind spots in our armors, so for heaven's sakes, you know, admit it and then get some help because if you knew what to do, yeah, probably would. Yeah, and that's the point I was, the question I was going to ask is it seems like it's it's hard, you know, so here we've sort of jumped into this this uh, topic about emotional intelligence. So for people listening to this, if you're a sales manager or a business owner or business leader, is that, you know, when you're looking at sales performance, you really have to look at two aspects of it, right? It's not just these hard skills as you talk about, which is the ones that tend to be looked at most easily because people are most comfortable dealing with that topic. But then there are all these soft skills, as you said, having really to do with emotional capabilities. But And really, to me, it seems like a lot of it sort of boils down to fear to some degree, right? I mean, people dealing with, with different dimensions of, of fear. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at it... Um... Fear, you know, I see where when you take a look at why aren't people really calling on the quote titles, the C-suite, the corner office, right? Mm -hmm. 
not a knowledge issue. There's terrific books written out there. I could name 10. It's the fear of, and, and in my coaching, here's what I found when I really start drilling down, there's a fear of being found out. I'm going to be asked a question I don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Sometimes that's the only way you're going to learn the question. And so it's being able to recognize the fear, which again is the emotional self-awareness, but then how do you move towards that? So for me, I just, I guess I've worked on this so long that if I do fail, I'm going to take it on what I call my role side and I'm not going to let it affect my um, self-worth side. Because mm-hmm. you, are, you know, if you are going to uh, go the, ro- the role that, side, meaning, hey, that's that's me in the job. That's not me as my fundamental self-worth. Yes, yes. And at the end of the day, yeah, I screwed up in my role. But you know what? There's just times that I got to go up. I got to go up there and show up because I really can't do any more pre-call planning and I might get stumped and it's okay because my belief is it's going to help me on the next, it's going to help me on the next appointment. Right. So, uh, but a lot of that's got to be that awareness instead of uh, excuses. Oh, they're busy. They wouldn't take my phone call anyway. Uh, no, they're not too busy. They'll take your phone call because frankly, nobody's picking up the phone anymore. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. We know that. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, I think one of the key points that you bring up, and this is again for the audience that's listening, is that you know, not everybody can self-assess, right? That you, you need to have somebody to be able to help you, uh, a mentor, a coach, a manager, or somebody that can go through this process with you. I think Because I think that being, you know, pragmatic to that degree and that realistic, you know, brutally realistic is difficult mm-hmm. for people. And sometimes don't you need some, somebody to help coach you through that process? Well, you bring up a great point. And so for sales managers, here's what's interesting is instead of telling the rep what they need to do, it's what you and I teach all day long, asking questions. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure you've seen this with your managers. When they get into a coaching session with their rep, they start telling them. And so they've got to have that emotional self-awareness to say, guess what? This is a knowledge issue anymore. We've got to have this person discover for themselves what's the reason they're not taking the actions, uh, taking the time to learn and practice, um, if we're supposed to be trusted advisors, but then I find that a rep hasn't even read a book in a year. I tell my teams, like, oh, you're not a trusted advisor. You're an old advisor, but you're a trusted <laughs> advisor. You know, so you could, it's just asking a series of questions, but I find these assertive sales managers have a terrible time asking questions because they go into tell mode. So, yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's a perfect example, right? Is so somebody is, you got an SDR, a sales development rep, or a, you know, outside sales guy that's just, not making enough cold calls, mm-hmm. and most sales managers say, "Well, here's what you need to do: is you know, you need to set aside this block of time, and you're just going to call during that time, and they, that's yeah. the solution, right? right? Which it really isn't the solution because it doesn't address the issue as to why they're not comfortable making these calls." Yeah, and and usually it is they're afraid they're going to get stumped, and so then it might be the manager, you know, just validating them using the empathy skill and say, "Well, you know, I had that concern too." Ask a few, where do you think you're going to get stumped? What questions don't you think you know? Because most of the time, you can figure out 95% of the questions you're going to be asked or objections that are going to be brought up. But they get in this fear mode, as you said, and their brain just locks up and they don't go into thinking mode and you know problem prevention mode. Yeah, and it's like fear of public speaking, right, to some degree. I think that's the way I sort of analogize it is that you know, I'd, when I was first starting my speaking career a few years ago and, and I... Um, finish a presentation, you know, as my, my wife would ask me, okay, well, how did it go? And I said, well, no one stood up and called me an idiot, so I guess it's okay. 
<laughs> that's a win. Right? But I mean, that's sort of the way you think about it, right? I mean, it's sort of this, that's a little fear-based as opposed to, gosh, I really killed it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. But before we do, I've got a hypothetical scenario for you that I pose to all my guests. And I'll take your answer and let you think about it while we take a break. And then we'll take your answer when we come back on the air. So here's the hypothetical scenario. You're a new sales manager hired into a company whose sales have stalled out and desperately need to be turned around. Senior management really has their focus on making sure this happens quickly. So you as the new sales manager, what would you do in the first week on the job? What two things would you do in the first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? So think about that. And we'll be back after the break with my guest today, Colleen Stanley, as we talk more about emotional intelligence and its importance in sales success. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales rep's calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. Joining me again today, Colleen Stanley, author of, oh, I forgot the title, book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success. I knew the emotional intelligence part. We've been talking about that. So great book. Recommend people read it. So Colleen, before the break, we talked about this hypothetical scenario, your new sales manager brought into a company, sales need to be turned around. What would you do in the first week? What two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? Uh, first thing I would do is run some type of assessment on the sales team because um, I could go in there and set up a great training program, do a lot of teaching. However, if I have salespeople that are lacking discipline, lacking work ethic, have an entitlement attitude, um, a victim attitude, those can be pretty hard to turn around. So I'd, I would first assess the sales team I have on board. Now, if I've got a good sales team on board, then the second thing I would look at is what's the process that they're using? Because I've seen some very hardworking salespeople that they'll still make it because they've just got that will piece but they're having to work so hard in order to accomplish something. So then I would just take a look at what's even the framework of a sales process they have in place. Mm -hmm. That's probably the second piece I would look at. So I'd look at the people first, and then I'd look at the process. And with the people, the interesting thing you, you brought up is you might use some sort of standardized assessment test. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so I could do a... I could do an anecdotal interview because I know what I was looking for. So for me, what I've seen with great sales reps is they're self-starters. It doesn't mean that they... Um, don't need coaching and won't ask for coaching, but these are the folks you do not have to motivate in the morning. You tell them something once and they've got it, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would look for salespeople that have the EQ where they're able to read a situation so they know how to adapt their behavior. I would look for high self-management, uh, no excuses. Um, now, that's a personal value of mine. I think excuses, accepting them in any way, shape, or form. I look for high personal accountability. Right. Because I think those are some of the traits then that are going to help you win if indeed it's just skill sets lacking. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it leads into an interesting point, which is as I was reading the book, it was, and this is sort of and not specific to your book, but a lot of books I read about sales and so on, it seems like a lot of the prescriptions 
and I don't think this is the case with what you were talking about, but I know in some cases it is, the prescriptions seem to be really geared toward the top performers, right? It's, you know, making the, the guys that are already good, guys and girls are already good, better, mm-hmm. as opposed to really being addressed to sort of what I call the vast middle, right? The people that are mm-hmm. sort of the B players, and not to say that in a pejorative sense, but just, you know, in a stack ranking. So you know, how do, is, is that the case here, or is the emotional intelligence, I mean, how do you motivate and inspire what I call the, the vast middle to pursue, as you talk about this term, you know, self-actualization? How, mm-hmm. do you, how do you motivate them to pursue that? Well, I think, you know, there's uh, the adage, and I think there's different opinions around this. I don't think you can really motivate someone. I do think you can provide an environment that a motivated person, somebody that has that intrinsic motivation to succeed, I think you can create an environment where all of a sudden they can just blossom, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so with that in mind, um, when you study companies, and this isn't because you and I are in the training profession, but there is X amount of research out there that shows when you provide training and education, you know, number one, if you've got an intrinsically motivated person, they get better. And when you get better, you like your job more because it's easy. It's fun. You know, sales can be just a brutal profession if you don't know what you're doing. And I know that because when I started out, I didn't. But I have a tremendous work ethic and I have a forehead that will take a lot of bruises. (sighs) I think if you can provide that environment, then you will get your intrinsically motivated, self-actualized people to even do better. And then when they're doing better, obviously, if you've got your compensation set up the right way, they're going to make more money. So I think sometimes the retention piece goes away. The uh, um, These cultures that aren't real healthy go away because you've just now got the right people and provided them the tools to even get better. Right. Well, I think one of the real breakthroughs about the whole emotional intelligence side of things is that is that you can change your emotional intelligence, right? Through work, you can change it. And I think this is, is something that's maybe a little bit shocking to some people to think because they tend to think, well, my emotions, that's who I am. I am who I am. And I, you know, I just can't change that. But all the research that's been done and the work that's been done has shown that through the application of work and, and use of certain tools that you can change how you react in certain situations. You can change how you respond to certain emotional disruptions in your life, which certainly there will be some if you're in sales. So, Absolutely. right. And so explain a little bit how that works, because I think that's something really important for people to understand is that you're not stuck. Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, um, for many, many years, people felt they were stuck because there was such a focus on IQ, right? This is what you're born with. But there is the neuroscience, um, as I call it, behind emotion management, emotional intelligence. And so when you can get some knowledge on how, you know, learning about the old brain, the amygdala, and how you actually are wired to go into survival mode, right? So the minute you see something that looks dangerous, i.e. a tougher prospect, a challenging prospect, literally from a neuroscience 101, blood starts leaving your brain, you know, you've got it going to your external extremities, adrenaline starts shooting off, you've got your body emitting cortisol, which affects your clarity of thought. And so at that point, you are really left with a functioning of a monkey and not the higher level monkeys we study. <laughs> and so that's the whole thing. So people will sit there and they're going, why aren't I executing? Well, you've actually got a physiology 101 reaction going on. So emotional self-awareness, when you start seeing yourself go into that fight or flight, which you will, by the way, you can't stop it. You can shortcut it. So a lot of tools are simply state what you're feeling. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling upset. Listen to um, if your heart is beating, take a deep 
breath. It actually gets you back to oxygen and that oxygen deprived brain. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it's pretty simple how fast you can get yourself back to managing the emotions there. And so I've seen, um, and also for learning new skills and habits, there's some exciting work and it's called neuroplasticity. And so this is where all of us, whatever we're exposed to nurture nature, you've got your hardwiring. So if you grew up in a family like mine, there's eight kids, and really what we were taught to do, you wanted to get the last line in, right? Didn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. You wanted the last statement. Well, that doesn't serve you so well sometimes <laughs> in business, right? So, so that's where my impulse control shows up. There's just stuff that'll fly out of my mouth. I'm going, really? <laughs> this is not your brothers you're dealing with, right? right? But if you know that if you practice something repeatedly, you can form a new neural pathway. It's neuroscience 101. So if you'll practice, visualize, um, the next time somebody says something that we call a trigger that causes a non-productive response, you will have a different one because it's it's neuroscience 101. So that's what I find exciting that you, you're not stuck. You're you're never stuck. Yeah, I remember I, hearing something on an interview years ago that, that really impressed me as a I don't know, psychologist or psychiatrist being interviewed on an NPR show that uh, said, uh, yeah, you know, you can't control the fact that you have emotions. The only thing you can control is what you do with those emotions. Yes, and how and how quickly you get them in check. So that that's what I think. It's, you know, like the old game, paper, rock, scissors, mm-hmm. that if you do perceive something as a uh, danger, and like I said, the old brain is just illogical, just recognize that the sooner you can recognize that, and it might be five seconds, you've got that thing back in check. Um you know, the author, Brene Brown, she's written some interesting books. And she said, you know, the most effective people I see, I've seen in the world are breathers. And I cracked up listening to the interview. Breathers. But you think about it. When you breathe, you're slowing down. You're giving your time to check the emotions and then make the proper statement or deliver the proper response. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically a practice of mindfulness or meditation, right? I mean, yeah. breathing, it could be in a very simple form, but that's fundamentally what breathing is, right? It helps yes. slow down and center you, Yes, which, which is important, right? It's, it's, you know, instead of customer ask you a difficult question rather than just snapping back an answer, as you said, take a second and breathe Yeah, and well, consider what you're going to say. And, and some people listening, if this is their first time being exposed to this, might go, oh, this is such... Uh, soft stuff. Well, you know, you look at Phil Jackson, he wrote the book, 11 Rings. He's the Zen coach. Just pick up the book and read that because he teaches all of his players to get centered. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Emotions are on the court. It doesn't matter how athletic they are. They cannot execute the playbook. Yeah. Well, I think that, that it also speaks to this whole issue of being present for customers, right? Because again, if you get sort of completely disrupted by your emotions, you're not, you're not there for the customer. You know, you've lost that connection because you're focused on your emotions rather yeah. than being present and listening and connected to what they're saying and focused on, okay, what what is the best response to this? Right. Well, and, and playing off your being present. So this gives me uh, an opportunity to rant. Um, you know, I find one of the things to be present is sales organizations are actually training their people not to be present. And where I see this showing up, I, I'll get into some meetings and everyone's sitting in the meeting, they're checking their phone, they're checking their iPad. Now, this is just anecdotal on my part, but if you have never practiced the habit of being focused for a half hour, just being unplugged, how in the world can you run this consultative sales call, solution sales call, challenger sales call, whatever you want to call them, 
how can you be focused for a half hour if you've never been focused before for a half hour? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and on top of which is that increasingly in certain environments, sales environments, is the reps are really overly scripted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, you're also, to me, that sort of plays into a lot of what you're talking about is, is that they're not being trained to respond in a, an emotionally intelligent way. Right, just to think and be present. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right, last question along those lines, then we'll go into the last segment of the show. So your CEO, your business owner, you're listening to the sales leaders to say, okay, really interesting. I read Colleen's book. And how do I integrate that then into like my ongoing sales training? You know, maybe every week in sales meeting, we devote 10 minutes to sales training or 20 minutes to sales training. How do I bring some of this in? Great question. So what I would suggest to the CEOs and sales leaders is, first of all, in your weekly meeting, devote time to education. I find a lot of people can get caught up and they're running the sales meeting, but it turns into an operations complaint meeting. So I think, number one, it's important that you have the discipline to say we are going to educate for 15 minutes a week. Right. But then within that education, uh, you know, it could be a case study. So when the case study comes up, the question is posed, what hard skills could have helped us here? What soft skills, EI skills could have helped us execute the hard selling skills, support the hard selling skills? So you just pose the question so they do a more holistic diagnostic of where's the root cause of this um, sales performance challenge? What's the reason we didn't get the deal? And you know what? If you take a look, well, we didn't do pre-call planning. Well, if you look, link that back, that also goes back to delayed gratification. You got to put in the work to get the reward of a well-planned call. So the hard selling skills might be, you know what? We just didn't have a good pre-call plan, but what was the soft skill that created that? So those are some of the ways that I would have them set aside the time, devote it, um, and then you know look at both the soft and hard skills that are affecting hard sales results. Yeah, and I think... So to go along with that is that I would recommend for sales leaders and managers is that make sure you're spending more time with your people, observing them in action, whether it's sitting next to them, whether they're making calls you know, inside or whether you're on the road doing ride-alongs, because then you can observe you know, not just the tactical, but also, as you said, the emotional element that went into it. You know, are they practicing the soft skills? Where might be the deficiencies? Because you can see how people react. You're going to know your folks. So I think it's really important to add that you know, firsthand observation into this whole analysis. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's there's so many athletic analogies and people get tired of them, but they're great. And, you know, you just never see a football coach or a basketball coach managing from their office. They're on the field or they're on the court. And so it's kind of funny. Just just watch people that do performance, get paid for performance for a living and just study what they do. And they're right there next to them. And they course correct that fast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Well, we're going to move to the last segment of our show. I've got some sort of rapid-fire questions for you. You can give me one-word answers. Or you can elaborate completely up to you. Are you ready? Okay. All right. What's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Mindset. Name the one tool that you use for sales management that you can't live without. Discipline. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Hmm. Let's see my sales role model, my old boss, Klein Boyd. And what did he do that that inspired you? He had an incredible ability to know when to apply the business acumen, the IQ, Mm -hmm. what I would call the emotional intelligence. So he was my boss and just a terrific mentor that knew when to 
he just knew how to diagnose what I needed to hear as a young upcoming sales manager myself. Excellent. What's the one book every salesperson should read? I like Joe Conrad's book, Selling to Big Companies. Great book. Great book. So here's really a hard question. So, you know, when you're trying to sort of psych yourself up, punch yourself up, what's your favorite music to listen to? (laughs) Myself. I sing in the morning. (laughs) Excellent. What do you like to sing? You know what? Uh, And do you have a CD coming out soon? No, I don't. And you wouldn't want a CD. You know, um, this is going to sound really crazy, but I sing a lot of songs around gratitude. So I just, uh, I think music can change your state. And so, um, or I I will just sing a funny song. Um, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. I'm, I'm <laughs> I love it. I love it. That way. So that's probably not a good way to wrap up this interview. <laughs> no, I like that. That's great. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? Um. Well, I would say it's it's actually, if I can back it up, it's every week I calendar block my week. So I am mm-hmm. here. Um, I really believe in productivity. So I actually will do a master calendar. And then from there, everything gets put on my daily calendar. And for that, for me, that seems to be how I run a very effective week. Got it. All right. Last question for you. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Hmm. Good questions here. How did you get to where you are? Oh, good question. So, and what's your answer? Um, I, I, you know, the same answer, hard work, discipline, um, asking for help, um, humility. Uh, I think if you're not humble, you don't know your blind spots or um, uh, being okay to admit you made a mistake. Absolutely. Oh, that's such an important one. That's, it's brought up so rarely too in the sales environment, this whole idea of being humble. It's, you know, it's actually, it's okay with customers if you don't know everything. It's just how you tell them that you don't know everything really, mm-hmm. really becomes important. Well, I think it just brings up a lot of credibility because I think they're tired of know-it-alls out there. And so if you're given the quick answer, you got all the answers. But, um, uh, you know, and I don't want, I'm not going to be the Michael Jordan. I've missed more shots than I've taken. But, you know, I've had uh, X amount of failures, but I, I'm a good bounce back person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but part of that is I'm a good, I'm a really good student. So I was not um, a natural, I would say, at learning consultative selling and solution selling. And so when I started, I would bug my mentor and I tell people, be a bugger. And I would call uh, him in the evening. He'd put his son to bed and I'd say, OK, here's all the calls I ran today. And then I'd be telling him basically how I screwed them all up. But I wanted to go, what should I have said? And then I'd write down the answer, and then I'd be ready for the next one. So I always give him a lot of credit that uh, he would take the time. But I give myself a lot of credit that I would take the time. Because they yes. start night getting a coaching call <laughs> after you uh, run a series of calls that weren't that good. Um, but that's what made the magic. So um, I think if you've got the natural talent, that's great. I've been someone that's developed some good talent. So that I think that's why I'm so passionate about this. I know you can get it if you're willing to do what it takes. Excellent. Well, great. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. My guest has been Colleen Stanley, author of Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success, as well as a leader of her own business, Sales Leadership Incorporated. So, Colleen, how can people find out more about you? Uh, can find us a couple of ways. Our website is Sales Leadership Development. It's a long one, salesleadershipdevelopment.com. We have lots of resources there, so I encourage people to visit the blogs. We've got a video blog that we generally do every week. And then, obviously, the book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success in Barnes & Noble and also, obviously, on Amazon. So I encourage people to pick that up. It might be a good first step. 
Yeah, as do I. I said I can recommend it. Great read. So remember, friends, as we talk about after every episode, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Now, subscribing to this podcast is an excellent way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of the conversations with our top business experts like our guest today, Colleen Stanley, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.